0: Hey there. The Getting Smart team recently released a new resource, Designing Micro Schools. Why Launching Small Learning Environments is a Big Idea. You can download it at gettingsmart.com slash microschools. Also, if you're interested in further exploring microschools, our strategic solutions and school design projects are tailored to support you from ideation to scaling. Email jessica at gettingsmart.com if you're interested in learning more about how we might work together. All right, let's get to the podcast. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Tom VanderEach. I'm joined today by Martin Reeves, who's had a long career in strategy consulting with uh, the Boston Consulting Group. Uh, Martin is also the chairman of uh, their think tank, the BCG Henderson Institute. Uh, Martin recently co-authored a book called The Imagination Machine. Uh, it's a terrific guide to Harnessing Imagination for Organizational Reinvention and Rejuvenation. Martin, thank you for joining
1: us. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh, Martin, you have long been known as a, a leading organizational strategist. What does imagination have to do with strategy?
1: Um, well, I think I define strategy as any deliberate uh, pattern of thought or action which produces favorable outcomes, and um, you know, we typically associate strategy with a very analytical, deductive set of activities. Um, but of course there's a creative side too, there is, uh, when an entrepreneur creates a business for the first time, something new to the world, um, you know, that's a part of strategy. Um, now there is this separate discipline of, of, of innovation, but I, one of the things I was trying to do was to, to link, uh, innovation and strategy, um, and also to link the mental side of, of, of strategy to strategy. And also to do that in the context of the changes that we have in the world, such so as the rise of AI, which can take over certain routine cognitive tasks. So that's essentially the essence of the book, um, saying what is imagination and how do, we, uh, how do we harness it and how do we do so under the contemporary conditions?
0: Well, I'd love to have you speak more to those contemporary conditions. Would you argue that, that imagination is more important than ever, given the sort of VUCA conditions we're experiencing?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it is for a couple of uh, very important reasons. So one of them um, is that the, what we call in strategy, the fade rate, um, which is the the duration of advantage. So if you have a successful business model, how long does that last? Uh, well, in a fast-changing world, that doesn't last very long. Um, so advantage in business nowadays lasts about a year as opposed to historically about 10 years or more. Um, so what does that mean? That means that large organizations need not only to perpetuate yesterday's business model, but they need to reinvent themselves. So reinventing the business becomes an ongoing, not an episodic activity. And then the second big reason is that um, we now have cognitive technologies, uh, machine learning and so on, um, which which are taking over some of the routine uh, managerial tasks. And so we must ask ourselves, what do organizations do? What do the humans in organizations do? So that's the second reason for visiting this. And then the third big reason is that demographic aging of almost all parts of the planet, including many markets that we call emerging markets, um, uh, is, is, uh, is proceeding um, uh, such that uh, we're likely to see uh, less consumption-driven growth in the future. And therefore, growth needs to be not merely participated in, but it needs to be uh, created um, through uh, innovation uh, and, uh, and imagination. And you put all those three things together and it says, you know, where's the where's the guidebook for imagination? And we don't really have one, which is a paradox, because as humans we all have this potential for imagination. It's actually a uniquely human capability. I'm a former biologist, so I can speak to that. And um, yet it's something we do intuitively rather than a codified way. And doing things intuitively in large organizations um, generally doesn't happen. Uh, doesn't end very happily.
0: It is an intuitive. Uh, it has been an intuitive art. Uh, I wonder why there has been so little research into imagination, curiosity. Why so little codification? What, what's your take?
1: Yeah, there are probably a couple of reasons. One of them is um, I think it was economically rational for large organizations to be focused on. Uh, exploitation of yesterday's business models and yesterday's organizational models, because in a slowly changing world, that's perfectly rational. Actually, the past does predict the future in a slowly changing world. Um, that's not the case now. However, um, I think a second reason um, we have to thank the, um, the the romantic movement of of a hundred years ago. It, it it gave us the idea that um, imagination was some special divine gift to uh, unique individuals. Um, and uh, that receives sort of momentary divine inspiration and 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 it invites us to believe that you couldn't possibly harness this systematically uh, Which I I, I don't uh, actually believe is the case and then the third reason is um, There is uh, of course a large literature on on creative thinking on creativity um, But more precisely our book is not just about imagination. It's about harnessing imagination so we deal with all steps from the conception stage the idea stage through the spreading of ideas, through the exploitation of ideas, through the displacement of, uh, of uh, the, you know, the previous set of ideas. Um, and um, the, the, the creativity literature has been a little bit separate from that sort of total life cycle of ideas, if you will. It, it
0: has, and I'd love to dive into a couple examples of that. Um, one example that we run into in education quite frequently is a two-sided market, that you're not only imagining a new experience uh, on the supply side, but you're Imagining a consumer of that experience, an employer or a college, um, receiving um, information about some learning experiences in a new way. And so you you actually have to build this two sided market. So you're not only imagining a new experience, you're imagining a new way to capture that experience, and you're imagining a new uh, recipient uh, experience. So that is an act of imagination, not just at a at a unit level, but really an ecosystem level, um, I think you could you could probably point to the same thing in healthcare and other complex markets, right?
1: I think so. Um, I, I think uh, the, the the ideas we we laid out on how to harness imagination are applicable to all organizations, and in some way, you might say, especially to the um, the two bastions of inertia in the economy, which are healthcare and education um both are a substantial proportion of uh, gross domestic product um both are very important because essentially they um they determine the health of the population and the uh, and the future um capabilities of the of of, of the population but both of them have uh, for different reasons um resistance to change partly to do with regulation partly to do with convention partly to do with very slow and vague feedback cycles. I think the the difference for education is that uh, indeed you have this sort of double applicability of the idea. You have to reimagine education and you also have to imagine a way of imparting the skills of imagination to the participants in the system. So it applies probably, in, in a sense, more than it does to business because we have this sort of double imagination problem.
0: Martin, I think until I read your book, I was trapped in the great man theory uh, or the great person theory and thought of this um, as a individual, solitary, momentary, um, the, the blinding flash of brilliance. Uh, your book helped me think about this more systemically. Um, and, and I loved how it opened up for me a sense of imagination as being Uh, collective and collaborative, that it could be, it's the art of uh, helping a community come to see something new and different. Uh, Talk about how imagination can be collective and collaborative.
1: Um, Yes, well, I think um, obviously some people are more gifted at imagination than others, um, but I just don't think it's a very helpful operational theory to uh, to, to use that as your primary explanation because it doesn 't really tell you what to do, in fact, it tells you that you probably shouldn 't even try if you 're not one of those people um, Now it is true, of course that imagination is a little unruly um, we don 't know what uh, what new systems we could invent which don 't currently exist, and when we conceive them we don 't we can 't know fully whether they 're going to work and how they 'll evolve so it 's not uh, completely well behaved but but my point would be um, uh, a we we need to figure out a way of, of, of harnessing imagination more effectively to solve our uh, very intractable collective problems like inequality and uh, global climate change. Um, and, and also there is no um, there is no reason why we shouldn't be at least as ambitious uh, in, in harnessing imagination as for any other unpredictable aspect of human affairs. So for example, companies don't shy away from thinking about personnel policy, human resource policy, consumer psychology. Um, so why shouldn't we aspire to um, uh, harness uh, the, the imagination as, as a capability. And the science, uh, we, we, we now begin to have increasingly good science on the topic. Um, uh, this, the science says that there are certain predictable features that can be exploited. And I, um, if it's helpful, I can, I can tick through some of the ways in which the science guides us as to a, a systematic approach to imagination.
0: Uh, t- tell us more about the the, the preconditions, uh, the the context uh, v- variables that a leader can try to alter in order for uh, more people to um, enter into an uh, imagination and creative state.
1: Well, I think the um, the, in- the intuitive proof that leadership is um, extremely important in relation to imagination. Um, it comes from if you if you think about complacency and fear, what are the two two things that are almost guaranteed to uh, to kill imagination in an organization? one of them is a is a fearful mindset, a fear of making mistakes uh, we get punished for trying and failing um, or uh, the, the other extreme um, complacency that uh, you know our institution is number one, uh, we're financially sound, um, we employ the best people what is what is the problem? There is no reason to imagine any, anything different. Uh, in fact uh you know to a successful and an arrogant enterprise um anything which is more speculative than the current business model um, looks uh, looks 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 unfavorable and then, if we go into a little more detail, i mean the six um steps that we outline from cradle to grave for an idea if you like uh, are all very tractable to and influenced by um culture and the tone set by leaders so the first one is um encountering surprise so the uh, from the point of view of neuroscience, the reason why we imagine is that we see an anomaly, we see something that doesn't fit, something that doesn't work. And that, that spurs us to be motivated to think of a better way of doing things, a different mental model and a, diff- a different uh, business or organizational model. And and of course, um, if, a, if a culture is very introverted, if it's not looking for those signals, uh, then it won't find them. And the second step is working uh, the mental model. Working the mental model means going from a headline to something which is, which is testable, elaborating the model in the, uh, in the mind. Um, if, the, if an organization doesn't value that, um, if, if you're in an organization where that sort of thinking, counterfactual thinking, is shot down as being impractical, um, then you know, you're never going to imagine. <clears throat> and then um, the third step is, um, is what we call the collision. It, it's where you collide an idea in the mind with reality, an experiment. And um, of course, experiments uh, fail, even in the hands of these great people like Steve Jobs. I think his hit rate was was about 20 percent. Um, about four out of his five of his ideas didn't pan out. Um, and, and in uh, the hands of their models, it's uh, it's 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 worse than that. So, um, if you have a, a, a culture that punishes failure, if that's the tone set by the leader, uh, you know that's that's very influential. And then we have the spread of ideas. Um, um, it's very efficient uh, in an organization to divide execution. It goes right back to Adam Smith. The if the, the the person making the pin, if 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 one person makes the shaft and the other makes the head of the pin, um, then it's more efficient for execution. Um, but but those silos, those organizations silos, prevent the spread of ideas. So that's a, again a very um, uh, that's a leadership choice. How do we structure? How much do we communicate across silos? And then the, the fifth step of the six is is codification. Um, how do we make success scalable and, and, and replicable? And that's a sort of a, a discipline that some organizations have and, and some don't in a particular set of skills. And then the final one is uh, very um, susceptible to, uh, to leadership philosophy, and that is uh, what we call the encore, which is the ability to not only be successful once with an imaginative uh, creation, um, but to disrupt the basis for your previous success, and and to um, uh, to adopt new ideas that that propensity for self disruption um, is 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 a, is a tone set by leaders. So um, in your part of the world, uh, you know Jeff Bezos talks about um, uh, day one, um, uh, the humbleness of day one, imagining that you're uh, a fragile um, uh, business which could disappear at any time, and. And, and needing to remain humble and observant and prepared to self-disrupt. Self uh, you know, a leader can set that tone um, or they can set a tone where it's it's only about efficiency of exploitation of yesterday's business model and you get a then a very different result.
0: Thanks for uh, walking us through those uh, steps and each of those is a beautiful chapter in the book and the, uh, each chapter has a, a, a really concise um, chapter Summary, which I love. If we go back to the, the idea of being open to innovation, you, uh, you note some really uh, important blockers. Uh, one that I loved is, Busy as the New Stupid. What, what uh, Tell us about that.
1: Um, well, often we, um, in the short term, we see the, the role of an organization as um, prosecuting whatever it is supposed to do uh, most efficiently, um, so it's about efficiency maximisation, output maximisation, and there's there's of course no limit uh, to how efficient uh, you can you can make processes. Um, so some organisations are almost entirely focused on doing what they currently do more and more efficient, efficiently, um, uh, and and with the current work ethic in uh, the Anglo-Saxon business world, um, you know that's become a new norm. We're all all on 24-7. Uh, we can communicate, we can we can meet, we can do business 24-7 from anywhere. Um, the problem with that is you end up with high efficiency but low evolvability. Uh, you, you don't build social capital, you don't build intellectual capital, you don't build future optionality. So that's the sense in which, um, uh, I use the phrase bu- busiest than you're stupid, if you don't carve out time for reflection, you won't indulge in the in the messy counterfactual thinking, which is the basis for a healthy business in the future.
0: Another blocker that we're very guilty of in education is having only answers, not questions. Uh, what would an environment that really welcomed good questions, what would that look like?
1: Well, I think if you're in, in an emerging and fast moving uh, business, um, nobody thinks that you have the answers. I was speaking to some, someone in the video gaming industry and, and they said to me that um, it was video apps. And, and, and they, they said to me, basically, uh, not only do we not know who's going to be number one next week, but our expectation is that we might not have even heard of them. Um, so these people are um, completely inculturated to the idea that um, anyone that thinks they have the answer um, you know, has a problem. Uh, you're better off with, with questions. And, and questions are... Um, a very useful thing because questions can signal to people um, what's important here. They can signal how do you think. Um, they can be somewhat structured but remain open to serendipity and and, uh, and, and and possibility. And also questions are very concise. You can boil any problem down to a handful of questions. Or if you try to write the answer, you're probably going to write pages. So um, I, I found that some leaders think a lot about uh, questions. So in strategy, for example, my favorite question is, well, it's a pair of questions. One of them is, what is this an example of? Which is the generalization or the conceptualization question. And the other question, which is the opposite of that, is what is an example of that? So I'm a, a, a somewhat uh, conceptual thinker, so I ask myself, what is an example of, th- of that very often? And I um, you know, ha- actually um, had those uh, pinned to my office wall when I, when I went into the, uh, uh, the, the, the office. But um, good leaders nowadays have good questions because they know that they don't know the future.
0: Martin, we're seeing a growing number of schools uh, adopt and use across their curriculum uh, design thinking strategies uh, that uh, adapted from uh, the the D school at Stanford is is a structured problem solving approach like design thinking or computational thinking, uh, can that be an efficient way to kickstart an imagination
1: process? Um, my previous book was was called Your Strategy Needs a Strategy, and it was about the idea that um, y- you don't need one school of thought or one type of strategy. You actually need different types of thinking under different circumstances. And um, so, so uh, for instance, there is the, the planning school of strategy. Uh, let me analyze and make a plan. Uh, but you can't do that in a highly unpredictable environment. There's the adaptive school of thought, which says, let me experiment and learn my way towards a goal. Um, there is the um the visionary school of strategy which says let me let me look at the world and, and look at something which is absent you know some, something which is present by its uh, by its pregnant silence and and let me imagine a new way of filling that uh, uh that that implicit need um so that's a very creative uh, sort of strategy and then you have collaborative strategy ecosystem strategy seven of the world's largest companies um uh, today are um, our multi hundred company uh, ecosystems, so the unit of analysis is not the individual organization anymore, um, so that 's a completely different way of thinking um, that 's that's, that's about shaping a system, a collaborative system of companies as opposed to imposing a strategy and then occasionally we need renewal strategy too, which is pragmatic urgent pragmatic fixes. Uh, against uh, the backdrop of existential challenges, so um, translating all of that into the, the realm of imagination i think um, I think design thinking uh, can, can can help because design thinking is about anthropological observation it 's about observing um, usage in practice and one of the very important things about imagination is that we we often see Harbingers of the future in the anomalies and accidents in the present should we choose to observe observe uh, carefully enough um, so I think observation of what people actually do with products is um, uh, Is is very important and I can imagine that could easily be applied to education uh, too and of course we have a modern incarnation of that which is um, Which is visual analytics? We, we now have analytics um, which can take huge fields of unstructured data and help us to see um, needles in haystacks, anomalies that may, may, be, uh, may be interesting to pursue.
0: I appreciate that answer. It, it's really uh, the practice of, of, uh, of pattern re- recognition of what is this an example of uh, so that we're applying the right tools right uh, to the right problem.
1: And the interesting thing about the, the question, w- what is this an example of, is that it's half Art and half science. So there is something which is observable and what is observable is a value because it may imply certain possibilities, but we can't see the actual possibilities. Um, uh, You know, we we can't see the consumer that says I want precisely, you know, a computer with three processors with this number of megahertz. Um, we, We get a weak signal. Um, so there needs to, still needs to be interpretation of the possibility so so we need a second type of thinking for that, which I call counterfactual thinking, which is uh the ability to think about that which is not but but could be the case and um you know, there's a whole discipline of, of counterfactual thinking. It's about imposing constraints in order to, to force new thinking. It's about removing constraints in order to, in order to free up thinking. It's about um, visual representation and recombination of elements. The problem here is, is, is a very educational one, which is we probably haven't really been taught to do that, uh, at least in my personal experience, uh, since since kindergarten. Uh, creativity exercises are much, um, uh, much prized in kindergartens in the part of the world that I come from. Um, but pretty soon when we get into the mainstream educational system, we're more likely to be dealing with functional knowledge or, um, solving deductive problems.
0: Martin, a couple of times in the book you mentioned Montessori. Uh, can I assume that, that you, you, you find the bones of that approach, uh, conducive to promoting imagination?
1: Um, well, well, some people may or may not like it as a, as an educational philosophy. Um, I'd say actually my son benefited uh, uh, greatly from it, so I'm personally a great fan, just to uh, re- reveal my bias. But I was I was I was um, imputing it as an example of um, of imagination, uh, in that uh, uh, the founder of the Montessori method um, observed children playing and observed things which were, um, you know, not well annotated in the in in, in, in the educational literature and and um, imagined a, a new way of, uh, of, of, of teaching people and sequence, sequencing uh, skill acquisition um, that was uh, and then of course, it didn't stop there, it wasn't just an idea, but there are now um, thousands of Montessori schools worldwide, so the idea was scaled and, and, and codified, um, and, and indeed evolved, uh, evolved further in the light of uh, Montessori practitioners. So I think it's a, it's a great example of um, imaginative reform uh, in in the context of, of a high inertia system, the education system. Um, so if it can happen once, um, it can happen again.
0: I'd love to spend a couple of minutes thinking about the sort of high school and uh, collegiate experiences that might promote the sort of thinking that we've been describing. Um, I, I jumped to uh, the, the case method that some of us experienced in graduate school. It, it feels like that had had some relevance for uh, pattern recognition. Asking the question, "What is this an example of?" and and as a result, what tools might we apply? Is are you a fan of the case method? For
1: I, I think the case method is is interesting and and a little bit counter to much of the teaching I experienced. Um, in that it is somewhat open. There's not necessarily one answer, um, and I I always find it suspicious that. Uh, you know, the, the algebra problems uh, at school came labeled as algebra problems and they were in the algebra textbook. But but telling you what type of problem it is um, in a way defeats half of the, the purpose of problem solving, which is to determine what sort of problem it is. It essentially takes out of the picture the most uh, mysterious and powerful part of problem solving, which is framing. Um, I think that should be part of the problem solving. So I like the case method because it invites you to not only solve the problem, but to first, first frame the problem. Um, and I think it is a... If I ask what is the case study method an example of, I think it's an example of getting out into the world and observing the way things are. Um, I think idealized representations of things absolutely have uh, have a role. Um, in, in some senses, imagination produces idealized representations, but they're idealized representations of real-world um, uh, observations and, uh, and 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 anomalies. So I think. Uh, um, you know i I think you could say that in the same family as the case study method would, would be things like going outside the classroom and observing uh, uh, and observing the real world and looking not only for the trends but looking to the uh, ex- looking for the exceptions to the trends and the inflection points in the trends, you know not not trying to get to some um, super clean uh n- you know, Newtonian representation of whatever one is talking about because it may not always be available.
0: Uh, my last two books uh, have, have dove into this topic in some detail of uh, walking into uh, the power of place and uh, inviting learners to experience complexity and uh, inviting them to frame up uh, problems, problems that are important to them and their community. Um strikes me that we need to do a lot more of that if we want to promote uh, creative problem solving.
1: And for another reason, too, I think, which is currency um uh i i um I, I know some educators that are still using the same course materials that they were using 10 years ago and in some cases that may be efficient and justified but the world is changing an awful lot um you know getting out there and uh uh making sure that your your content is evolving and meeting you know current needs i think is uh is 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 an important uh, attribute too and one of those of course is to acquire the skills of counterfactual thinking um what is it that uh, artificial intelligence will not displace um, it probably will not displace things that rely on um, uh, empathy you know human human interaction and reading human intentions um, and um, it probably won't replace counterfactual thinking because you can't analyze the data for things that don't that don't yet exist the the, the products of uh, products of the imagination um, so more than acquiring um, eternal, um, and and unchanging functional, functional knowledge. Um, I, 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 at least in the realm of business, I I think sort of more emphasis on teaching counterfactual thinking would be, uh, would be a good thing.
0: I would love to do a follow-up on that question. It strikes me that in almost every sector, big problems are taken on by teams working with smart machines. Um, so, g- given that new way of working, both in diverse teams with smart machines, how might we help those teams um, think better uh, using imagination and creativity?
1: Well, perhaps I can um, start off with a toy, a toy problem, a, to- a toy model of uh, education, and then add in some some contemporary ingredients. So, if we if we think about um, first of all. Um, you know, an unchanging area of problem solving. It could be anything. Um, it could be personnel management or algebra, and and we um, and we have somebody who knows the teacher, uh, who imparts that to the individual, um, and and does so in a fairly well honed and constant fashion. Um, so, if if you call that the classical model of education, what what ingredients do we need to add into that? So, we need, I think we need to add in the ingredient of of currency, which is um, well, personnel management might be changing. We need to get out there and find out what is changing. So we somehow need to bring the world into the classroom or the or the classroom into the world. Um, and then um, another thing we need to bring to the mix is that um, indeed we're working with machines and analytics and technology. And uh, our final chapter in the book is about the prospects for artificial imagination or at least the supplementation of human imagination by machines. And um, I, I think... Uh, um, you know, education is often slow to adopt uh, ad- ad- adopt new technology, but technology can can power up our imagination. I was describing these visual analytics that help us to detect anomalies, for example. Um, so we need to make sure that we're using the latest um, uh, the, the, the the latest tools. And then I think there is uh, what I call cognitive partition, which is we must ask ourselves whether what is being taught is primarily in the domain of things that machines will. Or already are able to do better than humans, or whether they are focused on uniquely human traits. Um, so, making sure that we're focusing on the aspects which will be important to the individual's future human contribution to the organisation is another element. And then another another element is um, is is um, is is collective problem solving. So, um, in 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 industry nowadays, uh, you know everything is solved by teams, and the cognitive diversity of teams is very important because my downhill move may be different from your downhill move, and if we combine uh, your thinking with my thinking in ways that don't contradict but complement, we can go from something very abstract to something very concrete, to something very appealing, to something which is well diffused, to something which is well managed. And I think um, self-awareness and and having a set of social moves um, uh, so that we, we we step away from the model that education is putting Unchanging knowledge into individuals' heads, and instead think about it as a set of capabilities to be deployed in a in a changing social context. So those are some of the elements we may, we may want to add to uh, to to enrich the classical model.
0: I, I appreciate that. Just in the last twelve months, we've seen uh, very good examples of teams co-authoring or co-constructing with new capabilities like GPT three. Um, seeing them produce video, um, written pieces, uh, very quickly um, taking the best of both the human and machine intelligence.
1: And, and and of course, if you ask why, there are some reasons why we wouldn't do that. We may say we don't have a budget to buy that technology. Or, but interestingly, some of the reasons which are given for not proceeding aggressively with the agenda that we just outlined, um, It seems to my way of thinking are about the convenience of the educator and not necessarily the efficacy of the of the problem solving so uh, for instance one reason is given is that if you're uh, If you have group problem solving it's harder to assess the individual contribution, but that's really an inconvenience to the educator Um, uh, and um, and um, Another one is um, You know if you're dealing with perpetually changing knowledge, you know It's harder to objectively assess and, and grade people, but again this is inconvenient for the educator but more fitting to the real world it seems to me
0: we've been talking to martin reeves the author of a great new book called the imagination machine Uh, martin you're a parent i'm i'm curious in uh, closing if you have advice for uh for parents out there what what should they be thinking about and doing to promote imagination and creativity in their uh, kids
1: uh, well, I've only got a personal view of that. Um, uh, as always, the uh, you know we 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 try things and we only learn many years later whether we've been successful, and it's very hard to establish causality. But I mean, I guess uh, what I tried to do with my kids um, uh, is um, impart curiosity is, the, is 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 one of the main things. And um, uh, so, with my kids, we celebrate questions. For example, um, uh, so we, um, we you know we celebrate when when we ask a question and we celebrate especially if dad doesn't know the answer to the question and we, and we, we celebrate moreover if, if mankind doesn't yet know the answer to this question. Um, uh, trying to foster inter- intellectual boldness and, 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 and curiosity and I try to shy away from, um, you know, rote learning and factual knowledge because I think these will become um, trivial in the, uh, in the machine age.
0: That's a terrific answer. Uh, Martin Reeves, author of The Imagination Machine, thanks for joining us on the Getting Smart podcast.
1: Great conversation, thanks for having me.